Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot to watch the D.C. Defenders in their regular season finale at the San Antonio Brahmas, Saturday afternoon at 3. Walters is across the street from Nationals Park, open daily at 11 a.m. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. from Malley to Manessas. Swing a high drive to left center field and deep, chasing back Taylor to the warning track at the wall, and it's gone! Home run number one for Joey Manessas. He drops it in the Nationals' bullpen, and the Nationals are on the board. It's 2-1 to one Twins. Here's the set now in the pitch. Swing a line drive into left center field. That's going to be a base hit. Thomas around 30. He's on his way home. He will score. K-Bear Ruiz comes through with a go-ahead RBI single. It's the Nationals three and the Twins two. Smith way off the line, almost halfway to second. First baseman swinging a ground ball to third. Candelario has it to second for one. Garcia to first, and a curly W's in the books. Around the horn they go with an inning-ending, game-ending, 5-4-3 double play on the first pitch to Miranda. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, April 22nd, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at a rather cold target field in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Yeah, we on Friday night had what was, in fact, the coldest Nats regular season game since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 04-05 offseason. A game-time temperature of just 37 degrees. It was in the 90s in the Washington, D.C. area on Friday. We had a game-time temp of 37 for the Nats at the Minnesota Twins on Friday night. Why a major league stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota was built without a retractable roof is one of life's great mysteries. An impossible-to-answer question, almost as impossible as the Nats scoring a run, but I said almost because the Nats on Friday did score a run. They, in fact, scored three runs, and the Nats won. They scored a run for the first time in three games, improved to 6-13, and 13, a 3-2 come-from-behind win at the Twins in Game 1 of a three-game series. Nats overcame a 2-0 seventh-inning deficit. Trevor Williams was terrific. Joey Manessis finally homered. But, Mark, seriously, <laughs> how and why did a major league team based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, build a stadium without a retractable roof. Do we have any idea what the deal is with that? Well, have you ever been to Minneapolis in the summertime, Al? Uh, No, I have not. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So I think the thinking was, well, at least 
four or five months out of the year, it's great and you want to have uh, clear skies in front of you. Unfortunately, they didn't think about what that meant for April. And God forbid if this team ever goes on a run in October, what it might look and feel like. Yeah, this is something. <laughs> I walked out of the clubhouse for the start of batting practice in the afternoon. Had no idea this was happening. I walk out. There's literally snowing as they're getting ready to stretch and start batting practice. It was a scene unlike any I've <laughs> experienced covering Major League Baseball. And it was so cold. There's another first. I've never seen this one. Not in baseball. Victor Robles was wearing batting gloves in the field, including on his throwing hand. Thankfully, he didn't actually have to throw a baseball that mattered because I don't know what that would have looked like or if it's even legal for that matter. But that's how cold it was. And there are a lot of players on this team who had never experienced anything like it. They don't necessarily want to experience it ever again. But a uh, seventh and eighth inning rally goes a long way towards making it feel a whole lot better. Retractable roofs are expensive. I get that. But man, it just is something to have a baseball game, you know, well into April. It's almost May and it's 37 degrees. Like, geez, that's that's not what Abner Doubleday had in mind when he invented the game. Of course, Abner <laughs> Doubleday didn't really invent the game, but uh, that's another conversation. But yeah, the Nationals won on Friday night. And this was a come-from-behind win. This was a game in which the Nats didn't do much offensively, but ultimately did do enough offensively. The Nats had three runs, uh, just six hits, but one of the hits was that aforementioned Joey Manessa's home run. Nats also had a double that you have to put in quotation marks because it was uh, one of the weakest hit doubles that you'll ever see, but it was a double. And the Nats came through with this win. Didn't draw any walks in the game, but came through with this win. We got the Joey Manessa's home run in the top of the seventh inning. Boy, if there has been a Nationals player who has needed to hit a home run in recent years, it certainly was Joey Manessa's on Friday night, his first home run of this regular season. And it was a big home run, a one-out solo shot to left center to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1, 409 feet per stat cast. And it's funny how these things work out. His first home run of the regular season the Nats' first run in three games. Like, what a way for the Nats to end their scoreless drought with Manessis finally getting on board with the home run. And then we got this nice two-out rally in the top of the eighth inning. Now, I mentioned that double in quotation marks. C.J. Abrams ignited the rally with a two-out opposite field double on a weekly hit ball that went by the Twins' third baseman, Jose Miranda, and into left field. Now the kick in the pitch. Jammed him. It's a ground ball past the sprawling third baseman Miranda and down the left field line. Abrams going to try for two. Here's the throw. Too late and offline. The hit per stat cast had an expected batting average of 150. But somehow, some way, the ball ended up being a double. You know, Manessis himself had a double like that the other day. But the Nats then came through with back-to-back clutch hits. Lane Thomas, two-out RBI single through the left side of the infield to tie the game at two. And Kate Ruiz, who interestingly was the Nats' number two batter in this game, a two-out opposite field RBI single to left center for a 3-2 Nats lead. So, you know, we kidding or not, some clutch hitting from the Nats late in this game. Well, here's all you need to know about C.J. Abrams. He hits that double with an exit velocity of 49.9 miles an hour off the bat. His previous at bat, maybe the best he's connected with a ball all year to left field, 96.7 miles an hour, 354 feet to left. I thought it was going to go out. It didn't quite get there. That's the beauty of baseball, Al. Hit them where they ain't, right? 
Doesn't matter how hard. Remember Dusty Baker used to say, I don't care about exit velocity. I just want exit hits. That was an exit hit for C.J. Abrams, and it ignited that rally, such as it was, three straight two-out hits. It wasn't an automatic double. That, you know, I mean, he had to bust it. There was some decision-making there on his part, so I give him credit for that. There was also hustle by Lane Thomas on the RBI single to read the throw, which was way offline, take second base, and that was important because it put him in position to score on Ruiz's single after that. So a lot of little things that kind of went their way and that they did right there in the late innings. But you know what my biggest takeaway from all this was? It's this. This team doesn't have to do that much to win a game. All it takes is a couple of hits in the right moments and they can win a game. You know why? Because the pitching has been that good and the defense, particularly the infield defense, has been that good and the bullpen has been very good that they don't need to break out offensively. They just have to come through in the right moments. Obviously, that's been a huge challenge for them through the majority of the season to date. But when it does come together, like you said, this was not a great offensive performance at all. But when it does come together in just the right moments like that, they can win games against good teams. They can, and they did on Friday night. It was nice to see that. The Nats earned this victory, no doubt. You know, with Manessis, I mean, again, it's so funny how things go. His first home run comes in a game with a game time temp of 37 degrees. This wasn't some hot and humid day on which balls were flying out. This was in the coldest game in the history of the franchise, at least since it came to D.C., and yet that's when Joey Manessis hits a home run. But, you know, I said this to you the other day, and I do feel this way. I think Manessis is going to get going here, and I wonder if Friday night was the beginning of that. I certainly hope that it was. Look, it's very likely he's not the guy who we saw the last two months of last season, but this was ridiculous, him not hitting any home runs over the team's first 18 games. Like, he's better than that, you'd like to think. And so now that he's finally gotten off the schneid with this home run, which was a no-doubter, this wasn't some cheapo shot, and again, game time temperature of 37 degrees, one of the hardest environments in which to hit a home run is a game like this one. Hopefully, maybe this gets Manessis going here. Yeah, and he had been hitting the ball hard. We'd seen that. Remember the ball in Anaheim that we all assumed was gone off the bat, and it got tied up in the marine air there, didn't go out. He hit a ball hard this game in the second inning, a line out to center field. So there have been signs of it. It was just a matter of it coming together at last. And, you know, he admitted that it was on his mind. And that's kind of refreshing to hear a guy say that because we know they're human beings. They know there's a big fat zero under the home run column, and that's not who he believes he should be. So yeah, he was thinking about it, and he needed this one. And you do wonder if that'll just allow him and everybody else to just breathe a little sigh of relief. Everything's going to be fine. And no, maybe he's not going to be the MVP caliber hitter that he was in August and September, but he doesn't have to be that. He just has to be a decent hitter. And I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that can still be the case. You know, let's see if this was a you know one-time situation, but I don't think it was because he has hit the ball well. We talked about the other day, all the peripherals suggest that he's hitting the ball as well as he did last year, just hasn't had the results for it. So it felt like it was just a matter of time before this happened. Also on Friday night for the Nationals was a single, a non-bunt single for Victor Robles. Victor Robles got off to a very nice start to this season, and he had been struggling. And, you know, he may still be struggling, but he on Friday night at least got a non-bunt hit. And you say, well, why are you making such a big deal out of that? Well, Victor Robles on Friday night, top of the third, a one-out single to left center field. His first non-bunt single since he had two non-bunt singles 
in the Nats 6-4 win at the Los Angeles Angels on April 10th. It had been a week and a half since Victor Robles had registered a non-bunt single in a game. And Victor Robles has essentially continued to be an everyday player for the Nats. It's not like he sat a bunch of games here lately. So he got that hit. I don't know if that means that he's back or if, you know, he's still struggling. But man, that's something that this guy went a week and a half without a non-bunt hit. Yeah, he had one game off that he didn't start. And then the team has had a few off days. So it's, you know, skewers it a little bit. But it still had been like a good week's worth of games in which he had not connected like that. Uh, I thought it was a little interesting that he hit eighth in this game with C.J. Abrams ninth. And I'm not saying this was the reason for it. But my reaction was, well, good. Maybe that gives him less incentive to bunt without Abrams in front of him. Remember that game the other night? Abrams gets on to start the inning and Robles just assumes that it's his job to bunt him over and that whole inning became a mess in part because of that. If you're hitting behind Stone Garrett, you're probably not going to be bunting a lot. So maybe this helped convince him to swing away and good for him. He, he made good solid contact. It was not a cheap single. That was a good solid single. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance, Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. For a reason, get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Abrams dancing off second. Jack sets and delivers the pitch. Swinging a ground ball toward the hole. It's through a base hit into left field. Abrams around third. He's coming home. And the throw will be way off the mark. And Thomas will go to second as the catcher has to chase the ball down up the first baseline. Off the glove of Jefferson, picked up by Joey Gallo. It's a base hit through the hole into left field for Lane Thomas. Snapping that 0 for 13. Drives in his eighth run of the year. Scoring Abrams from second with two out here in the top of the eighth. We're all even. The Nationals 2 and the Twins 2. With the Nats lineup on Friday night, some new looks to the lineup. So we had Lane Thomas in the leadoff spot. We have seen that, but not a ton lately. We had Cape Ruiz in the number two spot. That was something different. We had Dominic Smith drop down, finally, uh, to the number six spot for this game. And we again did have Stone Garrett as the Nats starting left fielder. You know, Alex Call had been, you know, the Nats basically every game left fielder for a while. That has cooled off here in recent days. It's funny, David Martinez talked about the lack of playing time for Stone Garrett as being a matchup thing. Well, golly gee, I guess the matchups have uh, bounced the way of Stone Garrett lately because he's been playing a lot. But what'd you think about this new look to the Nats lineup on Friday night? I think this is Davey Martinez seeing a team that had been shut out two days in a row and has had struggled throughout the season to date to score runs and saying, I just need to put the best hitters possible up there and try to put them in a position where they might do something and screw the matchups, <laughs> to be honest. And I think that's probably what this was. Um We've talked about how he doesn't want to put added pressure on the young guys like Ruiz, Garcia, Abrams, and put them in a prominent position in the lineup and add more pressure to them. And I get the thinking there. I think of the three, Ruiz is probably the one you maybe have the most faith in to do that. And you know he only went one for four, but it was a big one that he had. And I don't think he's bothered by hitting second in the lineup. He's shown enough here, professionalism as a hitter, I think, to warrant that. And Garrett, you know, it was just, hey, he's been hitting better than Alex Call, who has not done much at the plate lately. Although I will say Stone Garrett, the luster is coming off just a little bit here the last few games. He's had a few hits, but he was 0 for 3 with two strikeouts in this game, swung at a slider out of the zone on one of them. I'll be interested to see what is it on Saturday. Do you just keep riding it or you say, well, yes, there are reasons to put him in there some of the time, but maybe he doesn't have to be in there every day. And we're starting to see that. As great as he was those first couple games, that's probably not who he really is in the long run. 
it was good to see Dominic Smith dropped from that two spot, though. I mean, it had been way too much of that, okay? Like I've said with these guys, there should be extreme loyalty to basically nobody here, okay? Like, especially a Dominic Smith type. Like, play him. I'm not saying you have to bench the guy, but golly, you don't have to have him in the number two spot every game, especially with him struggling as badly as he has been struggling. So good to see that. And uh, look, it's not like the Nats busted out offensively on Friday night, but the Nats did end up getting the win. Michael Taylor's now 32 years of age. You believe that? He still looks like he's 16. Still, still looks the same. <laughs> the gift of the baby face. Yep. Now the set of the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And so Trevor Williams with three strikeouts in the inning. It was in the 1948 baseball season that we had the famous saying, spawn and sane and pray for rain. I don't know if we need to come up with something for the Nationals, but you look at their rotation right now. Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, Trevor Williams on one side, Patrick Corbin and Chad Cool on the other side. I mean, it's two very different scenarios. So I don't know if we need to come up with like Williams, Gore and Gray and pray for a rainy day or something like that. But it is something right now, man, because if you look at the Nationals overall starting pitching numbers, they are not good, but they are badly skewed by those two guys, Corbin and Cool. The truth is this. The Nats are getting really good starting pitching from three-fifths of the team's rotation, Gore, Gray, and Trevor Williams. And no, Trevor Williams is not a young potential ace or young potential really good starting pitcher, but Trevor Williams is a guy who did have a good season for the New York Mets last season, and Trevor Williams on Friday night was good for a third consecutive start and has been good for the Nats so far this season. Williams in this 3-2 win at the Twins on Friday night, two runs in six innings. He only gave up four hits. Now, three of the hits were extra base hits, a homer, two doubles, and a single. But one of the doubles came on a very catchable fly ball that, quite frankly, inexcusably landed between Victor Robles and Lane Thomas due to an apparent miscommunication. 3-2 pitch. Swing a fly ball right center field. Chasing over Robles and Thomas deep in there, and it's going to drop. Thomas gave way, and the ball lands just... A few feet away from his feet, and into second is Jeffers. Miscommunication there. Thomas had a chance to make the catch, but he pulled up. Williams only issued a walk. He had four strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, 93 pitches, 60 strikes versus 33 balls. I think Trevor Williams is doing a really nice job, and he had another good outing on Friday night. He is doing exactly what they were hoping he would do for them when they signed him to a two-year deal, let's remember. I know, like you said, he's not a building block necessarily, but every rotation has got to have somebody like that, just a reliable veteran who's going to give you a chance to win when they take the mound, and that's exactly what he's done. In four starts, he's got a 3.38 ERA, a 1.078 whip, and he's gone at least five innings in each start and given up three or fewer earned runs. That's exactly what you're hoping for out of him. You don't need him to give you seven, eight innings and dominate. Just give you five or six and a chance to win. And I think that's been really important for them. They've needed that and it has made a difference. Yes, you would love Corbin and Cool to live up to their end of the bargain. But if that's not going to happen and you have three starting pitchers who are consistently doing their job, it puts the team in a much better position like this to try to win games. And yeah, I mean, he really only made one mistake in the game. That was the uh, fastball over the plate to Joey Gallo that just got hammered, which is what Joey Gallo does to baseballs. 
But other than that, I had no fault with anything that he did. The double, like you said, nobody called for that on a routine fly ball to right center field. And that can't happen. And we've seen this happen a couple of times now with Robles and Thomas. That's got to get fixed. And even beyond that, they still were in a position to get out of the inning. Two batters later with the runner on third, there's a fly ball that's only 250 feet into right field. Thomas comes up to make the catch. And I'm thinking, hey, with his arm, doesn't even have to be a perfect throw. But his throw was so far offline, very uncharacteristic for him so far this year. That was disappointing. So, I mean, the run is charged to Williams, but I don't view that as his fault at all. I, in my mind, he gave up one run in six innings, and that was outstanding. Yeah, that uh, one-out RBI sack fly by Max Kepler, on which Thomas, who, like you said, has made, for the most part, really good throws this season, for whatever reason, did not there. But yeah, the miscommunication. So the double was by Ryan Jeffers. It came on that catchable ball that ended up landing between Victor Robles and Lane Thomas. And we have seen this a few times, and it doesn't make much sense. Victor Robles is a good defensive center fielder. Lane Thomas is a good defensive corner outfielder. They have been playing on the Nats now together for multiple seasons. What do you think the deal is with these multiple miscommunications between these two so far this season? I don't know. Maybe they both know that they're good, and so there's almost subconsciously a thinking, well, I could get this ball, but the other guy's probably going to try to get it too, and so I'll just defer to him. That's all I can think of in this case that, I mean, this ball was much closer to Lane Thomas than it was to Victor Robles, but Thomas never called for it. And at the last second, he realized, oh, wait, Victor didn't call for it either. Uh oh, the ball just landed. And I get that you defer to your center fielder, especially when somebody who covers as much ground as Robles does, but it's okay if you're a right fielder and you are in position to make a catch, not even on the run, but like to get there and set up and make the catch, go ahead and call it. Take charge. That's okay. And if Robles calls him off, then fine. That was strange. A few of these that they have had is strange. You would hope that they can get that thing sorted out because I was thinking to myself, like, this is going to end up costing them the game. We know how much they struggle to score runs. Trevor Williams just gave up a home run. You cannot afford to give them anything else that's a result of bad defense. We know how good the defense overall has been, especially in the infield. Don't go giving them extra runs because of sloppy play out there. And that's what this one was. Thankfully, it didn't cost them in this game, but they weren't far away from this actually having a big impact on the outcome of this game. Well, and it's just so strange because those guys are the Nats' two best defensive outfielders. You're not seeing this happen between Robles and the left fielders. You're not seeing this happen between Robles and Alex Call or Robles and Stone Garrett. You're seeing this happen between Robles and Lane Thomas. These two guys are supposed to know better and be better. And the real shame of that Jeffers double was that you know, I said that it landed between Robles and Thomas. What actually ended up happening was the ball landed like in front of Lane Thomas. Like it was very catchable. And for some bizarre reason, he ended up not catching it. And, you know, I don't know if Robles as a center fielder just needs to take more charge of all of these things and just say like the heck with it. You know, maybe he needs to be more of a dictator out there and like, you know, almost say, I got it. No, you got it. And like, tell him that's yours. You get it. But this really does need to stop. I mean, once or twice, okay, it feels like it's happened a lot more than it should be happening. Yeah. Well, maybe the reason it doesn't happen in left center field is because like I was saying, the left fielder knows that Robles is better. So they're just going to defer to him. Whereas Thomas knows he's pretty good himself and thinks he's got a shot. But then, well, wait a minute, maybe Victor is going to actually cover that ground. They need to understand what they both are. They're both good, but understand who's got what territory, who's in charge of what. And I know it's easy to say, well, center fielder just take charge there. But no, that was Lane Thomas's ball. 
And especially if you haven't heard any, make Victor call you off. If you think you've got it, call for it. If he calls you off, then back away and defer to the center fielder. But that was Lane Thomas's ball from the get-go. Can't they talk, though, while the ball is in the air? I mean, I know that you can't have a conversation and talk about life, but like, can't Robles say, hey, Lane, you got this? Can there be like a back and forth while the ball is in the air? It's not like the ball was some line drive. I mean, it was in the air for at least a decent amount of time. Well, I'll tell you what, Al, there were 12,469 paid souls in the ballpark on this cold night, and there were not anywhere close to 12,469 hardy souls actually here. So crowd noise was not an issue on that play, I can tell you that. It didn't seem like it was, that's for sure. Interesting game for the Nationals' bullpen on Friday night. So ultimately, three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings, but there was a lot more to the night for the bullpen than just that final line. So Erasmo Ramirez, who, as I have said, has kind of settled himself down here. He had another good outing in this game, a scoreless bottom of the seventh inning. Then Hunter Harvey came into the game. He tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth with three strikeouts, including strikeouts of the Twins numbers one and two batters, Max Kepler and Carlos Correa. Excellent work. But there was an oh no moment during that inning as Kepler just barely missed a game-tying solo home run on a foul ball to right field. But it was a foul ball, and ultimately, Hunter Harvey, a perfect bottom of the eighth with three strikeouts. And then we had the Kyle Finnegan show in the bottom of the ninth inning. I got to tell you, when Finnegan took the mound, I said to myself, he's blowing this save. I did not have confidence in our guy Kyle on Friday night. He ultimately did come through to his credit, but boy, it was not easy. So he began his appearance by giving up a leadoff single to Byron Buxton into left field to conclude a 10-pitch plate appearance that was quite a battle between Finnegan and Buxton and was quite an at-bat by Buxton. I mean, that might just be one of those instances in which you tip your cap to the batter. But then Finnegan issued a six-pitch walk of Trevor Larnick. So you say, uh-oh, here we go. We have seen this with Kyle Finnegan. And when he's off, he's especially off. You know, I've called him Kyle Suero because when he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's pretty bad. So you got runners on first and second, nobody out. But then Kyle Finnegan got himself three outs over two batters, a nice line drive to C.J. Abrams, and then a beautiful game-ending 5-4-3 double play on a first-pitch grounder by Jose Miranda. And just like that, the game was over. The Buxton and Larnick played appearances felt like they took about three hours. Those final two outs felt like they came over about 15 seconds. And Finnegan got himself out of the inning. Very nice job by him. Very nice job by this Nats defense, which is turning double plays at a very high rate here. That was not easy, but the Nats bullpen and the defense got the job done there. It happened so quick, Al, that I didn't even have time to start rewriting my game story, which I was trying to furiously rewrite just in case because they were, of course, one swing away from winning the game instead. I know that, look, I had the same feelings. He gets the first two guys on and we know the history with Kyle Finnegan. Once it goes south, it usually keeps going that way. And Mason Thompson was warming up very quickly. And it would have been fascinating to see how far Davey let it go. Would he have waited until Finnegan actually blew the save? Or would he have maybe brought Thompson in with a chance still to to finish it off and try to pitch out of a jam? We don't know the answer to that. I know in a perfect world, you want the guy to be one, two, three every night, and that would be great. But can I maybe make a case here that this was better for Finnegan in the long term? to have to figure out and prove that he can pitch his way out of a self-made jam. 
maybe in the back of his mind now, the next time this happens, he can think to himself, hey, you know what? I've been here and I got out of it. Maybe this will happen. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it makes no difference. And if you're bad uh, on a given night, you're bad on a given night. But I do wonder if there is secretly some kind of benefit for a guy to have to pitch out of his own jam now because maybe it'll pay off down the road. And I'll tell you what, because it ties in with it. There's definitely, and Finnegan said it and Trevor Williams said it too, there is a lot of confidence within the Nationals pitching staff right now about the defense behind them in the infield to turn double plays. They turned three more of them in this game. That's 24 now for the season, which is tied with the Cardinals for the most in the majors. Having that in the back of your mind as well, Finnegan said, hey, once he got the first out, he's like, I could be one pitch away from ending this game. And he trusts his defense to do that. And they did that for him. So maybe subconsciously, there were some good things to actually come out of this. The defense has been so much better so far this season as compared to what we saw last season. I would just say this about Finnegan. He has had a good number of these appearances already over these last few seasons. So I don't know, like if he needs these experiences to grow, uh, he's going to be about eight feet tall, okay? Because he's having a lot of these experiences. Like it's not routinely smooth with him. It can be smooth. Again, when he's good, he's really good. But he has these appearances And, you know, we have not talked about this, but I think now's a good time to bring this up. In game one of the Orioles series, and you noted this on Twitter, it was Hunter Harvey who was warming up in the bullpen to potentially come in the game, not Kyle Finnegan. And we never actually got to see that happen because of how that game played out. But, you know, you wonder, especially with Mason Thompson warming up as quickly as he was on Friday night, is the leash getting shorter with Kyle Finnegan as the team's closer? So I think the answer to that could be yes, but with regards to what happened the other night, I asked around the next day, Finnegan was dealing with some back spasms, may not have been available, and that's why Harvey was warming up. So I don't necessarily think that was a straight up decision by David Martinez to say, I'd rather have Hunter Harvey pitch the ninth inning than Kyle Finnegan, that Finnegan wasn't 100% healthy. But the fact that he did have Thompson warming pretty quickly is a sign and if Hunter Harvey keeps doing what he did in this game, I know he almost blew it because that ball was not foul by much, but he did still strike out the side and he has that ability as we know. It will be fascinating to see how this all plays out and it feels like it's only a matter of time, whether because of Finnegan's struggles or not. It feels like just a matter of time that if Hunter Harvey stays healthy, that he'll be out there getting his first chance at a big league save. It's funny with Finnegan because he does just enough bad to not make you feel great about him, but he does just enough good to still keep himself as the Nats ninth inning guy or still keep himself as like a top guy in the Nats bullpen. So he's teetering, but he never quite does enough to where you're like, all right, get that guy out of there. You know, he can't be your closer anymore. So we'll see. Uh, But yeah, the Nats got the win. It was good to see that. We haven't had many of those uh, so far this season. Just the Nats' second win since uh, beginning the season four and seven. Just not a lot of victories here lately, but the Nats do get themselves one on Friday night. And now come the final two games of this series, Cool and Corbin, the other two-fifths of the Nationals rotation. So we shall see what the Nats get out of those two uh, from a starting pitching standpoint. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Check out our new website, NatsChatPodcast.com. You can contact the show that way. Uh, You also can get yourself a great-looking Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that uh, website is NatsChatPodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram as well, at NatsChatPodcast. 
If you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, we'd love to have you on board. Contact the mastermind of this podcast, Tim Shovers. Uh, again, that email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan for Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we are, again, going to leave you with something special. An update on the Nationals AAA affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings, from the voice of the Red Wings, Josh Wetzel. And uh, Josh is going to tell us about what's going on with the likes of Darren Baker, Jake Alou, Matt Adams, and Joanna Doan. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you next time on Nats Chat. Here's an update on the Rochester Red Wings. Right now, the Wings are 6-11 following a Thursday afternoon loss to Norfolk, the Orioles' top farm club. On the offensive side, AAA rookie Darren Baker has hit for the best average so far for the Red Wings, batting 344. He just had a great six-game series against Buffalo in which he went 14 for 28. Jake Alou off the injured list has hit safely in all seven Red Wings games, batting 357 right now for Rochester. And if you go back to last year, Alou has hit safely 21 straight games in a Rochester uniform. The home run leaders on the team with four apiece are Big City Matt Adams, Travis Blankenhorn, and former A's prospect Franklin Barreto. And on the pitching side of things, Johan Adone picked up his first win of the season with five and two-thirds shutout innings on Wednesday night. He has one win, one loss, and a 3.92 ERA. And a couple of the best relievers have been lefties. Matt Cronin gave up a run his first appearance of the season, but has worked six great scoreless outings since then, covering seven and two-thirds innings, allowing only three hits in that span. And Alberto Baldonado is the only Red Wing with a zero ERA at the moment. He has given up no earned runs in seven appearances so far out of the Red Wings bullpen. This is Josh Wetzel with your Rochester Red Wings report. The two-strike delivery lifted toward right center, falling in the gap in a hurry, and that will drop for a base hit and bounce out to the warning track of the fence. Baker is already to second. He turns the corner, jets for third, and dives in easily with a leadoff triple. First triple-A extra base hit is a three-bagger for Darren Baker as he perfectly bisected the outfielders. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.